You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education, and today I'll be in conversation with Hunter Clark Fields, author and mindful mama mentor. Hunter's the creator of Mindful Parenting Course, host of the Mindful Mama podcast, and author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hunter shares the new path to changing generational patterns and raising confident kids. She helps parents get their kids to listen without losing their S-H-I-T, I can't say it on the Apple podcast, <laughs> bringing more calm and peace into their daily lives. Hunter's a certified mindful teacher with over 20 years experience in meditation practices and has taught mindfulness to thousands around the world. She's a mother of two very active daughters who challenge her every day in mindfulness practices. Today, we're chatting to Hunter about the challenge of being a parent today, mindfulness and her book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome, Hunter. It's wonderful to have you here today. Glad to be here, Heather. Thank you so much. Can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners and what brought you on this amazing journey of being a parenting expert? Sure. Um, I think I came to this because I went through life and I had, you know, I was good at doing things, good at getting good grades and getting into college and doing the things one does. And then I got to parenting and I was suddenly very bad at it. I was felt like I was really failing, actually. You know, I would my daughter was like 18 months old, two years old. And I was yelling at her. I had this temper like coming, arising in me. And I was just, I felt so guilty and terrible about it because it was the exact opposite of how I wanted to parent my child. I thought, you know, I thought I, I could just choose to parent my child a certain way and then that would happen. And it was a, quite a shock to the system. And so I dove into how to how to parent more consciously, more effectively. And and I, you know, I, I I learned a lot. I went into many, many different trainings and things, but basically I I I learned that all these things that people teach us how to respond to our kids, you know, you should respond this way. And that's all well and good, but but it's all as good as useless unless you can really calm your reactivity, you know, if you can't unless you can take care of your, your triggers, right. From your own childhood. So there's like a lot of inner work that goes with it. And that's what I really wanted to um, contribute to the conversation. Well, that's really interesting because it's the thing that I, um, I've been listening to raising good humans and it's, a, it's got some very raw stories and emotions and actually you're very honest with it in the book as well. Uh, you know, there's some things that resonated with me, you know, with my own parenting or my own parents' parenting, but I, you know, I thought that was really interesting. One of the points that you did, Maze, is changing the generational patterns. And is this the point? Is this the way you felt you needed to make the change in order for your children to, you know, I suppose, parent or just get on with life in a different way, in a more positive way? I... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so when I was 
you know, and I, when I had yelled at my daughter who was, you know, a tiny little toddler, she was so cute. I could see, I scared her, you know, I could see that it was, you know, damaging the relationship. It was putting distance between us instead of connection. It was making all the other parenting harder. Right. And I could Mm. really understand that, oh, this is, this is exactly what I didn't want because this is what happened to me. You know, my father had a huge temper. He would rage down the hallway. I remember being scared and hiding behind the door. And I realized that like my daughter's on a, you know, big feelings, big upset feelings. They felt in my body. They felt viscerally like this is unacceptable. Like I couldn't, it was unacceptable. And I realized that's because that's the lesson I was taught through my father's behavior and, and, and he was taught that through my, you know, my grandparents and, and I could see it going down the line, how I was reproducing exactly what I didn't want. If I didn't deal with it, if I didn't take a way to understand and, and this, this trigger, right. That it wasn't a choice I made. I didn't want to yell at my child. I didn't choose to yell at my child. It was, it, it was, there's a whole nervous system reaction and also condition, you know, it was conditioned in me, this feeling that, that her having big upset feelings was unacceptable. So I had to, I I could really kind of see that after I picked myself up off the floor and stopped (laughs) crying, then I could start to see that, you know, I'd had some mindfulness practice before then I could really see that. And so I knew that I really had to dive back into this mindfulness training, which had really given me so much more equanimity, you know, for the last couple of years, I really had to bring it back so that I could, you know, so I could, it it really is actually a a muscle sort of that you build. So I could build this muscle of non-reactivity, of calming myself. And, And that was the most essential step. Absolutely. And so I always remember when my children were really young and I'd be really frustrated, the way that I'd calm myself is I'd sing the next instruction and I'd be singing all the instructions because it was the only way I could stop myself from probably yelling at them to do something. So I'd be singing the instruction. If I had to, you know, clean up the room, anything, if we're trying to get out the door, if we're leaving the park, honestly, I probably looked nuts. But it seemed to work. It worked for me and it worked for them. So it was one of those funny little tactics that I did quite early when my children were young. But, you know, that's really skillful. Well, I think it was amazing. Do you know when you when you're you've got the middle of the night and you sing your you when sorry, this is when your children are really young and you're settling in the middle of the night. I used to always just sing to them or anything like that. I'm not the greatest singer. I've probably, Mm. you know, taken off stage. However, in a bedroom or a shower, it's probably okay. So I always find that calmed them and it calmed me because you would get frustrated after an hour of settling or, you know, whatever it would be, and I'd end up just singing myself to sleep and them to sleep. So I used to find that it worked when I was at the playground as well. <laughs> it's just one of, I wouldn't call it mindful. I don't know, but it was always my stress trigger, wasn't it? My stress response rather than a mindfulness technique. But, you know, you're, you talk a lot about mindfulness and, you know, how it's helpful. You know, can you talk about how it's helpful when we are in that stress response? Sure. I mean, there's a, a two ways it can be helpful in that moment. It does really help parents to develop a habit of a practice, right? And then build that that calming our stress response muscle. Because, you know, if we think of like our kids, 
tantrum or whatever it is, or they're getting really upset at us. Like that's kind of like the parenting big game, right? Like where we really have to show up with all our skills (laughs) and, you know, in, at least in the States, maybe you guys have some, some little league cricket, but we have little, we have little league baseball for kids. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and, and there's this thing called like the little league world series where they're literally on TV, like it's televised around the country. And like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put your kid in the little league world series, right. In the big, big game without any practice, without any coaching, without any muscle memory of how to swing that bat. And it's the same for us in our big moments that we can't actually expect ourselves to get to a really frustrating, really triggering, really difficult moment and think, Oh, I'm going to sing like Heather suggested, or I'm going to (laughs) pause right now that, you know, that, the hunt and walk away as Hunter suggested. So it really does take a little bit of building that muscle and practice. So I really think a regular practice is, is really, really essential. But in those moments, we can use mindfulness to walk ourselves back. And what mindfulness basically is, is a very conscious awareness of what is really happening in the present moment without, you know, without judging it, with kindness, with an attitude of kindness and curiosity. So you, you have, you're choosing to be aware with this attitude of kindness and curiosity. So uh, how do I do that when I'm, I'm getting triggered Hunter? Well, one of the things you can do is to be more aware in those moments, you can start to say what you're seeing, say what you feel like, I'm feeling very like, even if you're really starting to like get upset, like one of the best ways I think people can be more, more skillful in those moments is to, you could even yell, I'm feeling really angry right now, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and that's great because you're just, you're saying honestly, what's real, right? You're stating your feelings and what it can be is a bell of mindfulness to say, you know, when the last time I did that, I think my 11 year old was nine and she, I got like so triggered when she laughed at me and it was bedtime. It was post movie night. I got so mad. I was like a raging volcano. And I said, I'm really angry right now. And I slammed the door and I walked outside, but it was this cue for me to like, go walk off my anger. Right. Um, and so we can do that even further down the line. We can say, you know, you're yelling. There's a whole mess here. I'm starting to feel really frustrated. Like just saying what's happening, literally like I'm, I'm seeing this mess. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling my jaw tighten. I'm starting to like get, you know, I feel like my muscles burning and I'm going to take a break. Right. Because when you start to say those things out loud to your child, to yourself, I'm feeling really frustrated. I can feel my jaw tight. Like then you're, it kind of can get through to the rest of your brain, which is being hijacked by fight, flight, or freeze, right. That, that you may need to go take a break and, and calm down before you respond to the situation. And then then I suppose it becomes a bit of a cycle because I know that yelling out the door, get your shoes on, we're going to school and you're yelling, you're yelling, you're trying to get them out the door the whole time. And I suppose that's when it is probably the most important to, to implement this mindfulness as a parent you know especially in busy lives in in our busy lives I always remember I did this really I did a yoga class once and I you know was really into the yoga I was really into 
the class, came out extremely relaxed, busy job, came out really relaxed, and then I had a parking ticket or something on my car. And I remember (laughs) kicking the tyre thinking, oh, that's just gone out the door, hasn't it? But it was just the straightaway. It's like, oh, you know, you you just have that response, that stress response, and that was before children. No. But I do know that my children do push, they push all boundaries. And sometimes you feel Mm -hmm. that unless you yell, they don't listen. And I think that's the cycle that we get caught up in. You know, so how is it that we can implement this mindfulness? Because life is busy. You know, have you got little techniques and tips to give us to help us through? It is really busy. And and yeah, we can get caught in this cycle. And it's frustrating because kids start to tune us out when we when we yell and when we bark orders and things like that. They it's not very effective because they become resistant to everything we say, yeah. right? If we're not speaking respectfully to them, right? They're not going to speak respectfully back to us either. So I've taught, you know, people in very busy parents, how to create mindfulness practice in their life. And the weird thing is, and people, all kinds of people in very highly stressed situations, like, you know, active, active duty, military people practice. And what people find is that if you take a few minutes, if you take five minutes to yourself to sit in quiet, you actually gain a little time on the other end. It sounds like, and it it may feel like at first another thing to do, but it actually kind of frees up our time because what happens is mindfulness shifts the way our, our brain works. It actually makes the research has shown that over an eight week course of mindfulness training, your prefrontal cortex actually becomes thicker and more dense and the areas in charge of your fight, flight, and freeze stress response, the amygdala, they actually become less dense in gray matter. And so you're actually literally changing your brain. And since everything in our lives is filtered through our mind, we start to change the brain to become, uh, we become better at focus. You know, we become better at like pulling ourselves back from distraction. And so it, this five minutes that at first feels like something else to do, but I guarantee, you know, if you got five minutes on social media, you, you've got five minutes for this, right? Like (laughs) it, it, it feels like something else to do at first, but it can be done like right before bed or even while nursing a child or all kinds of different situations. But if we can sit in quiet, we can sit with a guided meditation, you know, even an app or whatever. And at a regular basis, what happens is it really does start to free up our time that was lost to distraction, lost to rumination, lost to kind of the, all that spiraling out and distraction that we, we really research shows we often lose about 50% of our attention to that. It, we, we start to gain that back and, and we gain more time. So, so it, it can, it can really, really help in that way. So, you know, I mean, you're obviously a massive advocate for mindfulness, but have you found that it's changed your your children's behaviour? Yeah, I mean, well, my children are uh, an allergy to mindfulness because their mother is the mindful model mentor. (laughs) (laughs) So even when we ask for like a moment to just, you know, maybe 20 seconds to breathe before we eat dinner, you know, they, they tend to be very, very fidgety for that. But what it changes is me, right? So I have always been an incredibly highly sensitive person. Obviously I've, I've, I, I have this temper, right? I was always, I used to be um, sort of like very, be very roller coastery in my emotions and I would fall into these pits. And after 
of, of, I would fall into these sort of pits of like depression and not feeling like I feeling very overwhelmed by life every week or two or so for basically the first 27 years of my life. And then after a few months of doing a regular mindfulness meditation practice, those pits went away. You know, it's not that I don't feel the feelings anymore. I feel all the different feelings, but what it helps me do is like, I start to see, you know, we tend to pull ourselves in, in like kind of a downward spiral of thoughts. And then what it helps me do is helps me say, oh, look, I'm thinking this, that's not very helpful. <laughs> and, you know, so it's kind of like when at, at first, like for most of our lives, we're, we're in a waterfall of thoughts and we're just under the water. Right. And that's just the way life is. And what mindfulness helps us do is start to actually is once in a while, maybe a few times a day, <laughs> we step out in front of the waterfall and we say, Oh, look, there's a waterfall of thoughts. And we start to have a, a, like a bigger awareness. And that helps us to sort of choose what's helpful and choose what's not helpful. It gives us that little space between stimulus and response with, with which to make a choice. And that just makes all the difference in the world to my parenting, because I was a lot like my dad. I was really reactive. I mean, I was, it was just conditioned into me. I'm highly sensitive. I got a big temper, you know, and, and for me to be able to calm that down and make a choice, you know, 80% more of the time than I used to be able to make a choice. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. My 14 year old still likes to like hang out with me. You know, she doesn't hate me at 14. And, and I, <laughs> that was not, that was not the case of my own experience when I was 14. So <laughs> no, that's really nice. And, you know, I suppose parents over the past 12 months, you've had found, well, in the US and the UK, it's very similar. We've had many of schools, depending on where you are closing, you've been in highly stressful situations and maybe people have kind of lost their way a bit and need a little bit of even simple techniques. I know, I mean, in, you know, keeping your call in one of the first chapters of your book and um, you were talking about, I think it was, a, I think it must be in the first chapter, you are just saying, and it's such a simple thing is to speak to your children the way that you want to be spoken to. Because when you do raise your voice, they do raise it back. They do get that sort of attitude. I even find that with my 11-year-old, which is quite interesting. So I always think you're not even a teenager yet. You're not allowed to behave mm. like this. That's my first <laughs> thought. But, you know, it is true. But I love the title of your book, Raising Good Humans. You know, can you tell our listeners what they expect from reading this? Well, it's a, it's, it's a small book. It doesn't take long to read, but it's very <laughs> full of actionable things to do because what I was frustrated with when I went on my intensive course of learning was I wanted to know how, okay, how do I respond that way? How do I calm down? How do I actually pause? Like, how do I do that when I'm losing my bananas? Like, so, so it has a lot of, you know, I encourage people to use a journal to, to really do the practices and, and if you do, they can be really, really transformative. So yeah, you can expect a lot of that and, and yeah, very practical advice. It, I think it's a very practical book. I see mindfulness as a very practical tool, kind of like a 2,600 year old brain hack, you know, that if we actually just stop a little, we can start to, to shift a lot of things, but, but there's also tools on, yeah, like you said, communication, 
how to communicate more skillfully, what not to say to your kids that we, things we habitually say to our kids kind of that are just in the cultural milieu are, are often really, really ineffective and not very helpful. So yeah, it really is about shifting generational patterns and, and kind of looking at you know, what does research tell us is helpful? What, you know, what actually is helpful when we step back and look at parenting and how we respond to our kids? It is the hardest thing is how you respond to your children. Cause I suppose it depends on how they're, what there's happening in their day, what's happening in your day. And you always need to keep your cool. However, it is hard at times, you know, you, you'll, you might, someone may have their toddler, someone may have a work call, someone may have a deadline, and then you'll be doing dinner and then you'll be thinking, okay, I need to get everything done for the week. This one's got football. This one's got basketball. This one has to go to swimming. Oh, I haven't got this. You know, you always have something as a, as a mum or as a caregiver, you've always got what's happening next. And so that's the busyness within it. And as you're saying, it's the waterfall of thoughts, but it's trying to structure those thoughts as well, which, I mean, I, I must admit, I don't do very well all the time. <laughs> I'm not sure about you, but it does take, take a little bit. But you've always, you, you have been talking as well about um, breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. What are your top two tips for this? Well, I think that we all, you know, we all need some habits that are going to steady our heart, our mind and our nervous system. Our nervous system is primed, totally wired for reactivity. And that's just how human beings are. Mm. That's normal. So it does take active effort to calm down that stress response, like get, you know, do all those things to help you be less stressed, like get enough sleep, get proper support as best you can get, get more support than you think you, you should need (laughs) for your kids. And then also like, I would encourage people you know, there's a lot that I encourage. I want people to understand their triggers and and things like that. But I think that one of the most helpful things is a practice of self-compassion is starting to see, you know, because you're going to be inevitably human and mess up. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. We're all going to yell at our kids. Sometimes we're all going to make mistakes. That's just part of the process. And actually it wouldn't really help our kids if they had completely perfect parents. Anyway, we, they, we wouldn't want that for our kids, but anyway, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. How are you talking to yourself in those moments when you aren't at your best? You know, are you harsh and mean to yourself? Are you really judgmental to yourself? And if you start to notice that you start to become aware or more mindful of what does that inner voice sound like, then you can start to change it. And can start to, even if it feels really awkward and uncomfortable, start to talk to yourself as if you would someone you really cared and loved about, as if you were talking to a best friend, you know, offer yourself that compassion. This is hard. It's hard to be a parent without all this support. You know, this was a stinky moment and you can begin again, you know, all the offer yourself that compassion. So I, I recommend some self-compassion practice and other practices that just will steady your steady your heart, your mind, and your nervous system. That's, that's good advice. Do you find now, like, I suppose there's a, you know, everyone's connected through social media or through any of these, everyone's so connected these days and that, you know, if, as a parent, you'll go online and you can see someone with someone that's an absolute perfect baby sleeps, you know, I don't know, mine never slept through the night, but they slept from through the night from six weeks old or they 
have amazing, you know, they just have an, they just seem to have an amazing life. They seem to be traveling around the world. Do you find this is has a huge negative effect to other people? Well, I suppose if you're looking for something negative, you'll find it anyway. But to other people, so first time mums, do you ever come across this? The, the I suppose it's I don't know. Oh, yeah. We sort of call it unicorn parenting. I don't know. It's not perfect parenting at all. But. I like that. I like that unicorn parenting. Yeah. I mean, I think it, we have to be aware of like our environment, what really matters. Like, you know, you think of like, we all understand that what we take in as far as our food and our nutrients, like that really matters, right. And shapes who we are, but also what we take in through our eyes, the conversations we have, the books we read, the things we listen to like this, like these are also things that we can, we take in that can either be nutrients to us, or they can be junk food and they can be detrimental to us. And we have to think about, you know, we're very influenced by our environment and by what's around us. So I invite, I invite you to be very selective about what you take in and whether that's feeding what's best in you or, or what isn't. And then it's not to say I'm, I'm not, I don't take in anything that's I, I watch Netflix and whatnot, but like, I'm very careful about <laughs> like, I'm not going to end my day with the news. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing to like really reduce that Instagram scrolling and just to be, and to also like, unfollow anything that doesn't water good seeds in me. Right. And to, you know, to, to simplify your, not only your physical environment, but also your media environment to be conscious of what kind of seeds is it watering in you? Is it helping you or is it hurting you? And that's a really important question to ask ourselves. That comes back to being self. I mean, be having this, uh, the self-awareness to actually understand what it is doing to you. Um, there's yeah. something that you refer to, you refer to the parenting superpower as empathy. So why is it empathy out of everything? Why do you say that's the parenting superpower? Well, you know, empathy is the ability to understand and feel what other people, others feel. And I think that's important. That's incredible for our kids, uh, for parenting, because, you know, can we go into a situation uh, when our, when our kids come to us and they have a problem, right. Or something's going on with them or really anytime they're like coming to us, right. They want to be seen and heard. And if we can take a moment and pause our to-do list, <laughs> if we can put the laptop lid down a little, put the phone down a little crouch down and really look at them and say, you know, what's going on for you? Like, cause your kids are going to say something, but they have some feelings and some needs underneath what they're saying. And they're not going to say, uh, excuse me, mother, <laughs> I would like to process this difficult thing that happened earlier. And I'm feeling very upset. No, they're going to have some, maybe what we see as we label as bad behavior. But if we can see the behavior as, uh, a, you know, a communication, right. And then if we have some empathy, we can look at like, okay, what are you feeling right now? What's going on with you? Bringing this curiosity and kindness to our children, rather than like reflexive labeling, and that that can serve us really well. Because if I can say, you know, if I can say to you, "Oh man, Heather, you've had such a hard day, and this has got to be really upsetting for you right now <laughs> to, to your child," right? Then, then they feel seen, they feel heard, and if you can really see and hear them, then it really just takes 
the emotional temperature of a lot of situations with our kids way, way down and allow some space to process whatever's going on. I suppose and it opens the communication. The communication, you don't have the, don't have the barriers as a teenager, so you get more and more barriers for communication. Well, I just want to add to that, like even like for little kids, right? So these things matter, like, and this matters for teens. So if you're, you're a little kid, you're trying to get out the, say you're trying to get out the door and your little kid has a problem with their shoes or whatever, and you crouch down and say to your kid, I bet this, this is, you know, this is really frustrating. You want to get this and we don't have time to get this. And, and that's got to be hard for you. And you listen when your child has something to say to you, you listen empathetically and understandingly. Then when you have a teen, they're going to tell you stuff, right? They're going to tell you what's going on with you. If you've all, if you've been listening to their frustratingly annoying stories about my little ponies when they're four, they're going to talk to you when they're 14. And that's, that's really, really a gift. It allows you to retain, you know, your influence um, in a really, really important time. And as you mentioned before, they still want to hang out with you at 14. That's quite a good feat. (laughs) Hanjo, I know you've got some amazing resources on your Mindful Mama Mentor website, and you also do a parenting course, a mindful course. So can you just have a quick chat about that to let our listeners know? I'm assuming that's online, so it's worldwide. It's not just the USA-based. Oh, yeah, it is worldwide. Yeah. So the Mindful Parenting course and everything and the podcast and the book, it's all at mindfulmamamentor.com. And the the mindful parenting courses, the way I like to teach it is as like a lifetime membership so that we can give people, you know, all the parent coaching they need as they come back at different ages and stages. It's been fascinating to, you know, watch families as they grow in different times of their children's life. And, uh, and yeah, that's all at mindfulmamamentor.com along with other free resources and, and the mindful mama podcast. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to say, I really loved, I love been listening to raising good humans and I really loved it's got, if anyone's out there and wants to have a real, I was calling it a parenting 101. So it's the book that didn't come when the child came. I needed it, you know, maybe a couple of 11, 12 years ago. Um, but, you know, for keeping calm within yourself and, you know, breaking um, generational changes, disarming emotions. And I think that's a big one in my family is because my son has big emotions. My toddler has these big emotions that come out. And sometimes it's really horrible. I sometimes giggle because it's really cute when they're four, but it's not the right response that he wanted. <laughs> but it's really sweet because they, you know, stomps their feet. I'm so cross. He's able to tell you, I am so cross with you, mummy. You broke my this, you broke my sandcastle, you cut my toast. And it's sort of you can't help but giggle and it's really not the right response to give him because then he gets more cross. So I think it's a really intru- it's a really great way if you haven't, you know, if you do have children with large uh, big behaviors or even yourself, as you said, you know, if you have that temper and, you know, we all have it at times, we're frustrated, we're busy, we're trying to do too many things. And, you know, the one beauty of the pandemic when everything closed down is that we all had to come back and change our lives slightly. We had to close it down a little bit and we had to, think we had to you know go back to mindfulness what's important what's not and you know we had that time which was actually very good for everyone so thank you so much hunter for joining us today and i recommend everyone having on audible having listened to raising good humans or even having a look at all the free resources on mindfulmummamentor.com 
and we look forward to hearing more. We'll follow your next book or we'll see what's going to happen, Hunter. Thank you so much, Heather. I, I really appreciate you sharing your time with me today. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners.